Hello and welcome to Game Dev London podcast in partnership with Samsung King's Cross. I am your host, Stuart Deville, and this is my co-host, Adam Boyne. Adam Boyne. Um, and today we are going to be talking about um, a topic that you might have been thinking about yourselves, and that is wanting to start your own game dev studio. The the main the key purpose of this podcast, or what, one of the purposes of this podcast, is that we are here to support the indie dev scene and the, the game development scene in general, but probably more the indie dev scene um, in ways of helping you know how to how to do it if you're just starting out um, or if you've already been going for a little while and there's some stuff that you don't yet know or you're trying to figure out hopefully we will cover that and be able to help you mm -hmm. so um, we're going to start with the core question that should lead you into this uh, situation and that is why why oh why do you want of all the things you could be doing why do you want to start your own indie dev studio <laughs> um and i'm going to throw this over to adam why did what was it that drove you to start your studio i don't know <laughs> good good start but, uh i'm back now uh, <laughs> um so for us it was interesting so i uh so my company was started we came straight out of university and started the company right um and the reason for that was at the university that i went to we had ahead of in the the two i think the two years before us a company had left formed a games company and we're doing that and then a year before us a group of people left formed a games company started doing that and for us it was it was sort of what we we were friends with them we'd seen them leave and continue and and you know make games and be relatively successful yeah and one of the things that we thought was that because we'd seen them do it, they'd come from our background, they had done the same things that we had, same course, that that meant there was an opportunity for us to follow in their footsteps. Mm -hmm. um, and they went and formed uh, sort of collectives in a similar way that we are, that uh, to support people in the local area, um, and essentially came to us with an, with an opportunity not about, I think about a month before we were meant to graduate, or at least finish our exams. And basically said, if you, because we, you know, we'd been discussing with it with them openly. They said, if you want to do this, we will provide you with free office space for six months. Cool. And for us, we were in a situation where it was something that me and my two co-founders had always wanted to do. We'd always wanted to start a company eventually. But the original conversation had been around uh, leaving the university, going and getting jobs, meeting people in the industry, you know, building up experience, that kind of thing. And once we had this, this, this presented with this opportunity, it was a case of, given the overheads would be practically zero, would we rather start now, give it a go, and hey, if it's successful, then fantastic. If it's not, then it doesn't matter as much because, you know, you only just started it. Yeah. It's not the worst time to, for this to happen. And that was almost five years ago now. Um, and we've we just kept sort of just kept it going. We um, we started basically on that whim of, of if we can make it work now, then we'll have five to ten extra years of having done it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, still still going, still making games, still doing software, still doing all that kind of thing. And what about yourself? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so my my journey into it, uh, I, I think is probably a fairly common one, certainly right now anyway. Um, and that is, um, I was looking at getting into the AAA studio myself, uh, into a AAA studio myself, um, and found that the route to entry or the bar for entries is kind of a tricky one to navigate for sure um 
and uh, wanted to kind of make sure that I had a dazzling portfolio. Um, so I started to make my own games. I, I, I come from a creative background, so I was doing all of the visual stuff that you would need to um, make a computer game. And I teamed up with a programmer so that that side of the things meant that all of my pretty pictures and, and models actually did something and weren't just inanimate objects. <laughs> yeah, and after making our first mobile game, because that was the simplest thing, I say simplest thing to make, there's no real mm -hmm. such thing as a, as a simple thing to make in, in game development, no. unless it really is like um, old school Pong, possibly. Um, so, so yeah, so we launched a mobile title and then I quickly realized that um, with my background of having managed creative teams in the past that I could actually just start my own indie studio instead of trying to kill myself getting into a AAA studio. Um, and I think, like, like I said, that's where a lot of people find themselves right now. And that's probably, if you're watching this, you might have had a similar journey. I think the interesting thing for my one is, is, is that I'd sort of been exploring building my own games and stuff before that obviously i was a student uh we were the guys who i started the company with we were a game jam team um and those skills of having built things before were probably one of the most useful starting places for us we knew we could work especially especially in game jams because it's such a uh, sort of high pressure period yeah. um in 24 hours whereas in the studio making in the studio is a high pressure period forever yeah. um yeah <laughs> Having worked with them in that period, and we knew that at some basic level, we could all work together. We could work together into a pressure situation. We knew how to bounce off each other. We knew how to build something that would be successful, functional, successful to work together, to agree on what did and didn't work, and all that kind of thing. We knew we could do that. Yeah. And that is sort of, that was essentially where we started. We had, and those game jams are also where we built our sort of initial demo pieces, where our first, all our first portfolios came from. We had the ability to pull a go, you know, showcase, be like, haha, look, we can build this kind of stuff. Um, and those skills that we learned from doing that was what propelled us in the first stages onto our first contracts and you know, our first releases and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's sort of it, we we sort of got in. It's sort of the reverse mindset to yours, whereas you you got in to build something to showcase to people. We sort of got in to do the thing that we would have done had we been in the industry in the first place and then come out of it because we thought we could do that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. The point for both of us is that it's a case of going. We want to demonstrate something we want to be able to build our own things and we can use to demonstrate that we're functional and successful and, and able to build the things that we say we're going to build and whether that's for the purposes of hiring uh, getting bigger better, and better contract work from a company whether that's to prove yourself so that you go and get better better jobs that kind of thing that's certainly one of the driving forces um alongside all the others the financials and building your dream and all that kind of thing yeah, I mean, I think obviously for both of us, the, the core of the passion is that we have grown up with computer games, we love computer games, and the idea that we can make our own games and share that with people that will love and enjoy, hopefully love and enjoy. Um, and yeah, just have something that you created that is your baby that is out there and um, make it, making a stamp in, in the games industry. Hmm, absolutely. Um, I don't feel like we need to go too much into the, the feelings and the why. If if you have a why, you know, it's it's all kind of subjective and whatever your reason is, as long as it's something that um is because game development is a long road. It's not just a like 
uh, a short-term thing, especially if you if you are passionate about it. Um, and you're going to need these like um, you're going to need to know why you're doing it, and you're going to need to be able to remind yourself why you're doing it as you go. I think the the why is an interesting question because it's not the what your why is doesn't really matter except the, the, the only, what, there's only one that matters that it's not which is to, for the money because this is this is not inherently the route for the money um yeah if, if you're looking to become a millionaire <laughs> maybe think about something else because a lot of people will say oh but this person did it that it's like yeah but look at even all the cases where they are successful like if you look at um you know minecraft and look at all the you know all the work and all the things they've done before that uh, mm-hmm. If you look at uh, Stardew Valley and the years spent for that, no Mask, all these indie games that you know they don't come from one person in six months coming out living off you know their student loans. These come from yeah. multiple years or experience, very experienced teams or so many iterations that you lose count. They're not just mm-hmm. yeah. you know jumping into jumping into this. And realistically, most indie studios are scraping along with what they have or you know and even the ones who are doing relatively successfully are you know they did scrape along for a bit or they they ca- or they come from somewhere a point of experience and money so they did something else first yeah um, yeah the why is more about you ha- it's exactly as you describe it you need something that you cling to as the why you're doing this in the first place for two reasons one because when it's uh at its worst uh it's at its worst sorry it's the it's the thing that keeps you going it's the driving force that makes you recognize why you're doing this and, and, and what's good about it yeah sure but also because it's a line it's a line that you can then you can cross and you want to you know in the same as any any time you pursue a passion or a dream you are in danger of over committing yourself to it without sort of taking yourself into account mm-hmm. if you love making games and you just go oh, i'm just gonna make games and that's it you could make games until you have no money no house uh, until you're very no very very poor Exactly. Yeah. And if you don't have that line where you go, my intention is to, it's uh, it's another one of those sort of smart target things. I am doing this because I want to, you know, improve. It, it could be that I want to release uh, this, this specific game, right? Whatever it may be. And that's fine. But then if you, that doesn't have an end. So you go, I want to release this game within two years, right? Now you're building a two, a game that has to be made in two years, which comes with lots of considerations cut down features editor. and if you're a year and a half into it and the game's not coming up for three years then you're going to miss your target and it's time to reassess you may then change your mind and go okay i'm gonna release i'm gonna release the game in three years time fine but that's that should be an active decision it shouldn't just be something that you skip over yeah for sure it, it can't be a oh this is going to take me three years now you, mm-hmm. you definitely need to have that in mind because that's when you get in the danger zone of people who remortgage their houses to, you know, keep the keep the company afloat and, and do this kind of thing. And you know, it when it's successful, it's this amazing hero story of the person who remortgaged their house and took a punt and a risk. You know, oh, look, they're rich now and it's amazing. That is not the standard. The standard mm-hmm. would be they remortgaged their house and now they don't have a house. Yeah, congratulations. <laughs> yeah, congratulations indeed. Uh, and um, the the. The kind of the situation, the re- the reality of it is that for every successful studio that inspires you, there are ten to twenty more that you that aren't inspiring you because they burnt, crashed, died, um, mm-hmm. and uh, you know out of all of those, they didn't just die because they weren't doing it properly. Some of them died because it is really hard. Um, mm-hmm. 
there might have been something that they hadn't considered that was going to be a problem and it's the problem that killed them um so yeah it's it's a long haul and a lot of planning and blood sweat and tears and yeah if you're in it for the money you better make sure that you know how to make that money absolutely uh, and a big part of that is that uh i've seen other companies have been out almost five years i've seen companies who started when we did who were students like us who got more funding than we did um from certain things uh collapse because things didn't work out and they had a very set dream and it didn't work for them i've seen companies that have been formed of industry veterans incredibly talented skilled people who have worked on AAA games uh burn out as well yep. because they couldn't find funding or a big deal that they were guaranteeing collapsed or whatever it may be um it happens to everyone um and it's as, as, as much as um finding work and opportunity and clients is lucky uh so is the collapse of a company unlucky mm -hmm. it, it it is based on so many things you can and you can you can do all the things you can plan and obviously you should plan and prepare and that kind of thing but there can still be unfortunate circumstances where things just don't go through um yeah. one of my favorite things that i've ever heard just not just on that which was a, a quote from a uh i think it's a quote from a from a games business person but about talking to first year business students about the business of games and that mm -hmm. kind of thing, yeah. which was the the question uh okay so you've uh invoiced a company how do you get them to pay right yeah and first year first year business students go in oh well they'll pay it's an invoice and they go will they yeah why what if they don't want to uh and exactly and it's, it's something you don't even think of until you get until you run a business and you're waiting for them to pay you're like but you've got the piece of paper that says you have to pay and they go well we're not going to pay and you go oh and it's just all it's all stuff like this that you just don't you don't even consider yeah for sure that i mean that is something that kind of hovers in the back of my mind but realistically i don't even think about it a great deal i don't Mm. you just you there's a lot of trust that goes into that like if someone oh, has, for sure, for has sure. said to you i want you to make a game for us and you go yeah cool exciting let's do it um and if you if you haven't been able to do any kind of in-depth homework on that person you don't know whether or not they've got the money or not um there's a lot of conversation that actually needs to be had before you get to that yes um and that's not like you say that's not something that you will know off the bat um Mm -hmm. which kind of brings us actually uh into uh quite nicely into the sec one of the following follow-up questions that uh i would have for people that are trying to or looking to start their own indie studio um and that is getting legit um and by getting legit i mean registering your company um and making sure that you are um if, if you're registering as a limited company, for example, knowing how that protects you in certain circumstances when you're going into making contracts with people and trying to make sure that um, it is, you're not putting your own equity at risk, like your home, for example. Mm. Um, how have you found navigating that? Um, so the first thing I'm going to say here is nothing here constitutes advice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you do this, if you do anything, anything based on top of this, do not blame me. Um, yeah. So we researched it before we signed the company. And basically, I researched it. I mean, we started, there's, so basically, when you want to create your own company, there's a form, mm -hmm. an online form that you fill in and you give all the details. 
Uh, and essentially, it's all very, very standard questions you expect. You know, what's the company name? Who is in charge? Uh, what's the split between you guys? Um, th- that's it. And a couple of other questions. Yeah. Um, and we Googled how to answer these questions. <laughs> You, which I don't recommend. Yeah. Um, or, or do. I mean, it's. You, well, you need to do some um, research, but yeah. You, oh, yeah. Don't yeah. just guess. No, don't, Definitely don't guess. Don't guess. Yeah. At least do some research. Realistically, go and speak to somebody who knows what they're talking about. Some, either whether that's a lawyer or uh, a senior legal advisor or an accountant or somebody who can advise you on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and this is the thing we only realize much later. The best thing you can do is not start a company until you absolutely have to have a legal entity formed for whatever it is you're doing. Yes. Uh, and this is normally at the point in which you get paid by someone because then you need a business bank account and that means you need business. Um, there are so many things that are tied up in when you started your company, uh, financial things, funding opportunities, bids, grants, uh, uh, software licenses that you can apply for, mm-hmm. discounts, all this kind yeah, of thing yeah. that are locked to when you start your company. An example of this would be uh, if you're looking in, in, in the current climate crisis as we are, uh, one of the things is the the Prince's Trust, which is a fantastic organization funding uh, young people doing op- like starting companies with great ideas and all this kind of thing. Uh, have come forward and said, if you're aged between 18 and 18 and 30, mm-hmm. I'll double check, uh, 18 and 30, and you started a business that is less than four years old, you can receive uh, an amount of funding now to support you yeah. in you know, the current climate, which is great if you're running a company that's under four years old. Mm-hmm. If you're four years in one day, because or in, our, or in our case, five years, because you went, oh, when you start a company and to start it, you are out of luck. There's nothing you can do about that. You are too old for that company. And that's, you know, that's one circumstance where it just, but over the years, we've been hit by so many of those. Um, and so many of them, you'll only figure out last minute, you'll find a, like a great funding opportunity. You'll be like, oh, that's amazing. And you'll get to terms and conditions. And then it will say uh, three years. And you're like, well, it's been three years and one month. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we're doomed. And so that's, that's one of the big things. Yeah, that's your. Yeah, there's lots of stuff uh, like that when you're starting out and you're considered a startup and there's lots of help for mm. startups and there's, um, yeah, there's support in many, in many places for um, people who specifically haven't gone as far as I'm, uh, uh, I think it's because they expect that once you register yourself as a, as a legitimate entity that you know what you're doing. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I do not think that those two things are mutually exclusive, but that does seem to be the expectation that if you have mm-hmm. registered everything and um, then, then yeah, you know what you're doing. I mean, the so like the, the plus side of obviously getting legit um, and being official early, early on um, kind of depends on the kind of studio that you're running. Um, for you guys, for example, as you're doing work for hire, um, being a limited company means that um, other companies can do business with you and like contractually things are, are, are kind of easier to set up and you're not signing a contract as you, a, a, a individual, um, which would mean that if something went wrong, that money comes out of your pocket, out of your mortgage or, or whatever. Um, it, 
obviously if you've got a or not obviously but if you've got a limited entity and that's that's your company then your company is doing business with that person and therefore if something goes wrong the company is actually the uh, liable entity um, which means that if the company goes down into liquidation and, and all of that kind of stuff and, and gets eaten up because of that failure or that that event then you haven't lost your house which is nice and there's all these different ones like um public limited liability or sole trader uh all these different possibilities that you could be as a company that you need to go and research and while you're there this, you're in this opportunity where each question is really each question that you're asked is relates to your business as a whole and there are important questions behind that so for example uh one of the questions is around equity share right if there are multiple people in the company who owns what uh in terms of a percentage now you could just go straight in and just be like oh everyone's equal it's fine um but is that actually going to be the case? Are you going to have an equal share? Is one of you going to take on more of the burden while the company's in its early days, while two other people are going to change? These are things you can change ultimately down the line, um, but you want to get those conversations in, in start with because it's much harder to have a conversation a year into a company about who should own what than it is you know, before the company exists. Um, it's certainly a lot harder to go, hey, Steve, um, <laughs> we said that we were going to have a 50-50 split, um, but I've been doing everything uh, and you've just been doing like the one job. Uh, is it OK if we now change the split and I give you less? Don't think it's going to wash. No. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> uh, and you do see this at a you know, international scale. You see very big companies have very public fights because yeah. different people in the company believe they are owed a certain amount of money or a share or whatever it may be, uh, which they are not entitled to because that's not how I set up. Or somebody somebody was a director when the company was set up who quit early on but never gave up their shares. And now they're in a situation where they want to sell the company and it's all coming out of the woodwork. And it's these kind of questions that come up early days, which can be easily just sort of, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, it's fine, whatever. But actually are vitally important to uh from a legal perspective from a financial perspective uh as time develops just yeah just generally for the health of your business um you want to have figured out as much as possible um before you've even got to the point where you've agreed that you're going to run the studio um uh even yeah like deciding who has what role who's responsible for what you might all have like equal or, or be equally good at quite a lot of different aspects of the business um but you don't want to be treading on each other's toes when it comes to who's in control of the finances or who's in mm -hmm. control of um marketing hiring um all of the the stuff that's going to come in um and you don't want to be the guy who says like Let, let's go do all of this and you've got your your teammates and they're like yeah, yeah yeah let's do this and then when it comes down to things actually being done you find that you're doing everything because you didn't figure out or, or you didn't clearly define each other's roles and i think the big thing about it as well is that you, what you don't want to be is flippant about the entire process um if you treat it like oh yeah everything's gonna be fine and it'll just work out yeah it may be fine and it may work out but you may be in a situation where things are worse than they could have been so for example this, and this is the other side of it. If you go and ask people who have run companies for an extended period of time, whether that be one company for a long time or several companies for a short period of time or, or whatever it may be, they will have opinions around 
what they would do differently if they were starting a new company, if they were starting a specific type of company or this kind of thing. So, for example, I've been now running a company for, for, for almost five years. If I was to start a new company tomorrow, one of the first things I would do is hire somebody who is specifically in charge of business development and administration because it takes up so much of your time. And when you, as the people who run your company, are all dedicated to the purpose of that company. So for example, if you make software, you are all programmers, then any time spent doing business and administration is taking time away from you producing the thing that your company produces to make money. Yeah. And that is at best, that is um, uh, inefficient and at worst dangerous to your company because you are literally losing money to try and keep the company running. Mm-hmm. Um, and also because the people who are are skilled in business development, that kind of thing, have a good idea of uh, how to run a business, how to find clients, all this kind of thing. Yeah. It's why there are all these courses on doing this kind of thing. And yeah, it's something that you can go and learn yourself and there's all stuff online. But having somebody dedicated to that 24-7, well, don't don't work 24-7, having <laughs> no. someone dedicated to it, 24/7? Seven, <laughs> seven, de- seven hours a day with a, bit, with a lunch break. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, these are the kind of people who can help you propel your company sooner with stuff because they let you do what you do best, which is why you think the company will be successful in the first place. Yeah. And they will be out there getting your, you know, getting the word out, you know, keeping an eye on things, checking finance, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so that would be that would be my suggestion. But if you take yeah. that advice, don't blame me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, for sure. Um, like when you when you're starting out and um, when you don't have access to someone with every skill set that you want in your studio and and possibly for the life of your studio you might find that a lot of the work you're doing is not game development a lot of it is um business development a lot of it is admin tasks a lot of it is um organizing your finances if you're lucky to have finances to organize a lot of it is networking a lot of it is networking (laughs) yeah yeah so much more time networking certainly if you're um the face of the company um then yeah good luck actually Mm. spending any time in in developing your games um (laughs) i i'm in that situation myself where i started out as purely just doing all of the game design and um luckily for me i i spent a good few months um doing all of that development planning and making sure that um i knew what we were making mm-hmm. um so that once i got people on board i could hand off the fun the the fun tasks um all of the actual game development, making assets and, and programming and all of the fun stuff of actually making your game. Um, I ended up handing off all of that to other people. Um, and obviously I had to make sure I was handing that off to people who are more skilled at those jobs than I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, now I, I now I spend all my time really in business development. Yep. Another part or, or one of the core, key core parts of uh, game development is the money side of things mm. um, and uh, where you find funding, how you find funding, um, whether or not there are tax breaks for production and R&D, um, which in some cases there are, um, and understanding how to um, value any assets that you have within your company. Mm. Um, how? What was your 
have you had much of a journey in terms of seeking funding or have you, have you been quite fortunate with your um, contracted work? It's a, it's a bit of a battle hmm. in, in all senses. Um, so funding, so we'll start off, we'll, we'll limit funding down to uh, receiving money from someone for a specific purpose and so not contract work specifically for, you know, internal, internal development, we'll say. Right. Um, just because otherwise we'll be here, we'll be here forever. <laughs> yeah, we could be, yeah. The big thing about funding is that it exists in so many forms, in so many places, with so many restrictions, that staying ahead of it is another full-time job. Mm -hmm. uh, it's almost like there are people dedicated to this kind of work. Uh, um, and it's diff what you learn over time is that there are a few places up and down where you're basically trying to find this balance between uh the size of the funding so you know it could range from a very small project all the way up to you know your complete full project cost from an idea to release da, 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 mm -hmm. yep, yep. Uh, versus how difficult it is to get on it um and normally that's very linear you know if it's a really really big pot uh and you could get you know your millions um then yep. it's going to be incredibly difficult to get hold of that Whereas if you're looking at your very, very small amounts, you're, you know, in the thousands as opposed to in the hundreds of thousands, mm -hmm. then you are looking at a much better odds of being able to access it. And the thing is that that the other thing that, that scales with is uh, geography. So your local area probably has a greater number of small funds that you are more likely to be able to access because those funds are designed for local companies to get access to that funding and to make the use of it and turn around user stories and case stories um, mm -hmm. yeah. for whoever the board was. Um, and this is where you look at uh, your local council, for example, they normally have something. Uh, there's a thing called uh, the LEP, which is a local enterprise partnership, and they have those all up and down the country. Uh, you have city regions, you have city funds, you have uh, and then it starts to and this is the thing, it starts to broaden out. Mm -hmm. Then you can go into uh, ERDF, which stands for European Regional Development Fund, although I'm going to assume some of those are going to dry up very quickly. Um, yes. Yeah. Given the circumstances. Yeah. Uh, then you have and then you go up to government bodies who work nationally. Um, a lot of them do outside of London funds. Um, because London lots of the, a lot of funding naturally goes to London anyway. Mm -hmm. Um yeah. and a big part of that is that you need to look into how you can find where those are. So um local community groups will normally know something about it uh local incubators because their job is to stay up to date on these kind of yeah, things yeah. so um look for tech tech incubators uh they'll know these kind of things twitter twitter is a very good place the more and more you look on twitter uh a lot of the games industries on twitter because it's so very visual um people post about their games and that kind of thing it also means when those funding opportunities turn up people talk about them on twitter um and yeah and the more the more you sort of spread your net in terms of people in the know people who should in theory know where these funds are and that kind of thing the more likely it is that you're going to catch them and then also you can do things like subscribe there are big bodies like uh, innovate uk um you do a lot of funding pots and you can subscribe and then when there are updates they will just send them to you it makes life a lot easier yeah and a, a, um, a lot of that again comes from like networking if you, the more people you can speak to that are doing it or trying to do it and um I, I had many conversations when we were first starting up with people who were like, oh yeah, we're currently like uh, pitching for this fund. You should try and do that too. Um, the, the information is out there um, and it's, 
it's easier to find than you might think, especially once you actually put yourself out there and you're trying to find the information. Um, one of the other sides of the money situation um, is what are you going to spend that money on? Like, mm. if you if you do successfully manage to get a certain amount of money into your company's bank pocket, um, yeah, where where would you spend that? Um, and by and large, I would say that you try and spend that money, spend it wisely, uh, spend it <laughs> on your development. Mm. Um, I know that a lot of people say that you should try and um, squirrel it away for your marketing, um, but marketing money can be easier to get hold of um, once you've got a game that you've made, funnily enough. So you can um, pitch for other pots of money by saying, here's a game that you can play, here's a demo that we have made. Um, so spending that money on development would be uh, where I would advise you first spend that money. A big thing on funding is, is you need to look at what that funding is going to cover because there are funding pots that go beyond projects. Um, so, for example, we've recently had two funds in the last uh, year, two years, around equipment. Um, and sometimes people think that's just for big, you know, farms, uh manufacturing companies it's, it's of them but actually it's also for tech companies because you know we also rely on equipment it's pcs and computers and monitors and that kind of thing yeah. but we rely on them you know i can't do my work if i don't have a pc um and there are ways that there are gr grants and funds out there to help you with that to support you in uh upgrading and you know changing how your workflow because it's all about that that's what the money's there for is yeah. to you know invest back into the society and actually i've, and I've just noticed that there's a switch from saying funding to grant and i want to just quickly cover over that <laughs> because one of the key things that you also find when you look at funding is there is grant funding and there is uh loan funding or debt financing or, or, or comes in different terms very uh, true yeah and the big thing about that is that grant funding means here's a load of money ta-da loan funding is here's a load of money now give it me back slowly over time yeah and the second one normally comes with uh, it can be the bigger bigger amounts of money but it normally comes with lots and lots of rules and conditions around that uh which can be very dangerous depending on the sort of money you're going for those conditions can range from if you don't pay us back in time then we will do something small like we'll take uh 10% of your business for a small period of time or the in you know then it goes up to if we don't have a payback of time, the individual people are uh, responsible for paying this back, which is quite bad, all the way up to if you don't pay us back, then we take your company, which is, you know, quite bad um, and not really what you're looking to, to have done to you. So whenever you are looking for funding, keep an eye out for whether it's, firstly, whether it's grant funding or loan funding, but then also the conditions that apply to it. Because for example, some grant funds will not cover all your projects they'll cover 80 percent or 50 percent or you have to get two fun you have a fund will only work if you pair it with another fund that pays 50 percent each there are lots of weird and strange rules that start to break down when you start looking at funding but the, the key thing is the, the key thing as of anything is make sure you read through the terms and conditions <laughs> yes literally um and if, if there isn't uh any like i mean there, there should always be some kind of written terms and conditions yeah. 
But if there are none, run. Yeah, may, maybe <laughs> just just turn around and, and say thank you, but no thank you. Um, but there's lots of conversations that you can have with these people before you sign your life away. So if there's anything that you don't understand, and obviously you're getting into an agreement with these people, make sure you've asked all of the questions that you can think of, and then go away, find out if there are more questions you should have asked, come back and ask those <laughs> yes. too. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Um, as, as with anything that we're going to suggest or advise along this route, um, do do your homework. Um, do check out that um, everything that you're putting yourself into isn't just going to ruin your life um, in all of the ways that uh, game development can ruin your <laughs> life. <laughs> It's, it's not something that you'll hear very common. I, I would imagine not many people are going to say to you, game development will ruin your life. Unless they're a game developer, then maybe. <laughs> well, yes, this is the battle between it. It's, it's one of those, and, and this is the theme across all things of uh, funding and businesses and you know, starting a company, all that, that the balance of all that negativity and stuff is that making games is fantastic. It can be fantastic fun. Like you are ultimately uh, in one of the most expressive uh creative platforms that also has a very straightforward monetization route you're not you know you're not creating a play and hoping it sells on in a very small theater you can you can you in your bedroom at home can create a game that you then sell to a global market mm -hmm. right? there are a huge number of platforms that allow you to do that if any other than games um which means that the benefits are stuck but then the uh, because of that, you know, that's so great. There are always going to be massive pitfalls around that, and it's just about being cautious and wary, and you know, just being considerate of the fact that there is a lot of opportunity for people to try and exploit you, or to try and uh, take advantage, or to just they're they're trying to make their own money, and you know, you are a potential route for them to do that. Yeah, and all those things exist because this industry is, you know, making games is great and good fun, and people people like to exploit people having fun because they're the ones who don't notice um and also there's a lot of money to be made so the you know, and a lot of money to be yeah. made which yeah, kind which be... kind of goes against that original statement where we we're like if you're in it for the money then but the, the the thing is that um there are people who are out there who are in the industry for the money and those are the people that will happily take your money from you and leave yes. you leave you like with debt and no game and potentially no life <laughs> it's that it's about there is there is a lot of money locked up in the games industry as a whole a lot of money like i think it's what uh was it last year that it was worth 50 percent of the uk uh creative industries came from games i think i think like one that. of the numbers i saw was 4.5 million or billion maybe billion i think it'd be yeah I, I, I'll, go, I'll go for billion on that one um yeah but i either way a lot of money locked up in the games industry and it's the problem is it's for an individual it's difficult to get hold of because there are you know there are giants there are triple a students mm -hmm. kind of and there are random successes from small studios as well that it means if you are trying to go be in it for the money and you you know you will if you have for for one for better word loose morals you will try mm -hmm. and take it from everybody around you because that is the most straightforward way to do it if you can't get it yourself take it from the people that are around you and people will exploit you for that and as with anything and this is true in any industry in any in any sort of creative capacity you've just got to be careful that anything and boy around something basic 
If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. If you're sitting there going, oh, is this happening to me? Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> um, I think the one of the uh, one of the ways that you can um, kind of avoid some of these pitfalls is obviously by surrounding yourself with people um, who are able to help you with this. And, I, and I'm not just talking about people externally. I'm talking about the people that you bring on board with you. So while you're building your team, um, the people that you bring on board will you're there are going to be certain skill sets that you want them to have. Um, and the obvious ones are what what you will typically aim for. You'll if you're thinking, oh, I need someone who is a uh, 2D artist, you're going to go find a 2D artist. If you're thinking, I need someone who is um, a uh, programmer, you're going to go find someone who is a programmer. Um, but when you're finding these people, especially as a as a small indie studio, it is really important that you try and find out what other background skills people have because the more skills you can have in your limited number of people the better um, and especially if those people have skill sets that you don't have um, mm. for example if someone says oh uh, yeah I was running a team before um, but I really wanted to leave that situation because um, I, I wanted to get back into the creation of games and leave aside all of the headache that I was having managing my studio or whatever that that would be a perfect match for you like you're going to get so much benefit out of having someone who has already taken on the journey that you had decided it wasn't for them um and now wants to be you know just um a, a member of a team um in fact if anything that's probably an ideal candidate <laughs> <laughs> one of the uh the best bits of business advice it's, it's not the one we've been able to execute much but it's one i sort of keep keep on hand uh, in terms of just like running business is you want to be hiring people who are better than you. Like, yes. And it makes complete sense. Why would you ever want to hire someone who's not as good as what they do as you are, especially when it's your company. And, mm -hmm. but actually people do, people end up doing that. You know, they'll hire people. They'll be like, Oh, you know, what if that person's better than me? And, you know, they take over my role or, Oh, they can do that faster than I can. Oh, you know, and actually it, it, it makes sense from that sort of strange competitive angle, but really, you want your company to be filled with the best people doing the best in the best positions, doing the best work. And yeah. even if that's better than you and they have, if they have the capacity to show you up great, because ultimately that's, that is going to improve the company overall. And it also means that you can then be like, right, you're better at me than this. You focus on this and I'm going to focus on the other thing that I enjoy, or I'll focus on the thing that the company needs, or I can focus on that. And, and it also means that you can, um, Get, in, get involved in some personal development. If you still want to be doing the thing that that person you're hiring is doing and they're better than you, then you can go, oh, how did you do that? Can you like help me become as good as you? Making it a learning experience. Learn from them. Yeah. How did you do that? We had a, uh, a guy who worked for us uh, briefly part-time who was a great programmer, absolutely great programmer, mm -hmm. but a also a fantastic 3D modeler uh and texture designer uh so he was built he was simultaneously making great art and then implementing it in the game and making it functional and he sort of said there and you go wow, wow. That, yeah he, he's i need to go and hire him again um but the <laughs> yeah, thing, come back come back please um but the thing that was great about him is that you could go oh when you see him implement something you go oh why did you do it like this or how did you implement it like that or you know how would you go about doing something like this and he had the skill set to do to to work in between and the people who do well in the game industry across the board are the ones who have even if they have a specialism, even if they're like a programmer or whatever, are the ones who 
have some understanding of the other areas because then they can converse with them. You know, a pro yeah. a, a, a tools programmer doesn't just know how to code. They have const. They have an understanding of Photoshop or Maya or art programs or music programs, that kind of thing, because they need to understand what those people need and how to get stuff through. The same with games programmers, the same the same with technical artists, the same with even just 2D artists, you know. If, yeah. if, if 2D artists just make their art and then pass it to the program, program like this is unusable, then what was the point in the whole thing? The more you have awareness of other fields, the uh, better a candidate you look to a company, yeah. especially a small one. Yeah, I mean, when I um, started with the studio, um, like I said, my original goal um, was to actually try and get into the, the games industry, at, at, well, to be a, me- a smaller member of a bigger studio. Mm. Um, and it meant that I made sure that I um, knew every aspect of the visual side of game creation. Um, and even just through that that first project, I learned everything that there is to learn about um how how to make a game from the from the visual exactly. perspective um and it just means that um as time has gone on and i've brought on new people um whenever i've brought anyone on they've they've had to be um better at what i was doing than i am yeah. um i now look in awe at all of the assets that are made for my game and i think well it's a good job that they're making it and not me because <laughs> the the production value that we are aiming for is actually beyond what I would be able to do as a solo. As you'd expect, like in, you can be skilled in a various number of areas, but you can't specialize in all of those areas. No. You need to be a specialist in one area and have knowledge of various others. So yeah, absolutely. It's important to make sure that, um, you're not the smartest person in the room. Yeah, absolutely. Basically, following on from that, really, um, is um, a point that I've come across, um, and that is that um, how do you how do you be a boss? Like, how do you um, talk to the people that you have to work with? Um, how do you make sure you're not just like upsetting all of the people that you work with? How are you making sure that you have like a nice environment for your team to work in? A lot of that will probably come from whether or not you personally are a nice person. <laughs> mm. um, but at the same time, um, through my journey, I've also made sure that I've been looking into like um, or, or doing my homework and research into how you how you how to be an effective boss, how to like. Um, encourage people when they show you their work instead of just being like um yeah okay no we're not going to use that <laughs> you you really like and and sometimes that can just be like a knee-jerk reaction and if you do have that knee-jerk reaction you need to know how to bring it back and say oh something more constructive essentially i know that you said um your your team essentially were kind of like uh friends beforehand mm-hmm. have, have you had to deal with much in in that respect of so it normally comes into play so in two in a couple of situations yes uh so in our company it normally comes to play when uh we're bringing somebody in whether that's for work experience or a new per- a new hire or that kind of thing um but in the past uh i've been a project man i've been a, a team leader and that kind of thing in previous jobs and that kind of thing um yeah back in the old days um <laughs> and the key thing i've learned so there's, there's there's two things especially around being a boss one one is that you have to remember that uh, in fact i'll do the other round 
one key piece of advice for everything is the best way to approach something is to put yourself in the position of the person that you are approaching. And that counts yeah. for uh, being a boss. That counts for writing a CV for a job. That counts for giving a presentation. Everything, right? If you can put, if you can figure out what it would be like to be on the other side of that when you are the, when you're to be the one receiving that information and how they would react to it and look through it with their eyes, you will be in a much better position across the board. So, for yeah. for example, for a presentation, if you can imagine, if I was sat in an audience and some person was giving this presentation to me. What would I like? What would I dislike? What would be good? What would be bad? That is incredibly powerful. And in the position of being a boss, it's the same thing. Would I like it if my boss came in and shouted at me for five minutes? No, probably not. Would I like it if I would I like it if my boss came in and said to me, that is the worst thing I've ever seen? No, probably not. Would I like it if my boss dismissed me? No, probably not. And so you start to build up this picture of, okay, if I and it's difficult because you have to ask very sort of meta questions. Like yeah. if I wanted me to spend more time doing X, how would I go want to be asked that? And, you know, it's not, this is not a straightforward skill. It's a complicated question, mm. but this is the, but the first, the, the, the baseline question is how would I want this to, to, to go down if I was the receiving person? And then the second part is as a boss, you are meant to be like a guiding hand, right? The person in front of you is you hired them because they are skilled. You believe that they can do what you want them to do. If there is an issue, you are meant to be guiding them through that issue to be able to achieve the thing that you want them to achieve, right? Yeah. If they are meant to be producing, if they're a programmer and they're meant to be producing good quality code and they're not, the idea is that the, you believe that they can because that's why you hired them. And so you want to find out, you want to be the guiding hand, steer them towards that. And if they, if they're, you're coming up against roadblocks, find out what they are. Deal with the issues at hand and don't just shout at the person driving, basically. You're, you're, you're yep. essentially, yep. You're, you're in the passenger seat, right? They, are dri- they will be the driver, but you can give them directions and you can guide them. And if there are issues, you don't just shout at the driver, you try and deal with what the issues are at hand or find a way around them. Yep. Um, because at no point have I ever seen beyond like personal trainers and that kind of thing because that's a whole different ballgame yeah no point have i seen shouting or negativity be a solution to a problem and even if mostly because it doesn't solve the issue it just creates negativity around the issue yeah you want to be guiding the person to this is a problem you have to highlight it this is a problem you have created a problem or encountered a problem where there is an issue you can't just shy away from it because that also doesn't solve it you have created a problem. This is how you got there. This is how we're going to solve it now. This is how we prevent. We could have prevented it if we'd done it a different way or done this. And, da, da, da. Mm-hmm. and you, you have to be both hands. You are the boss that you want you to be in terms of, you know, nice and benevolent and fair and all that kind of thing. But you are also a guiding hand, which is, which is, is both um, gentle, but also forceful. It's also, you know, you are not just letting them be free because then sometimes people go off the rails or they don't focus or whatever it may be. Yeah. You are guiding towards it. And if they resist and if they are, you know, they don't want to be guided and they're pushing back against you, then you have to ask questions. Is that firstly, okay, firstly, why are they doing that? But ultimately, if that's just because that's who they are, is that the sort of person that you want to be working with who refuses to take direction? Because that's not great if you're trying to, you know, create direction if, and if you're trying to collaborate with someone and they don't want to collaborate yeah exactly exactly um 
there's also this point of um when when you're when you're being a boss that um you you need to consider especially i would say for indie studios um obviously being able to pay your team is delightful and finding ways to pay your team delightful um but you need to consider that what you're all doing together is um growing a career um and mm. the, the the people that you're hiring are looking for career opportunities as much as they're looking for financial gain um, or even as much as they're just looking to fulfill their passion in terms of being part of creating games um, and one of the things that I learned early on is to um, have those conversations with people when you're bringing them on board asking them um, what is it that they want ultimately from their career is it that they just want to keep being a, a 3D artist and that actually they're happy every day coming in creating cool 3D models or is it that actually at some point they'd rather be like the head of a team and sharing their knowledge with like people who, mm. are, who are in their position now um, further down the line um, because for some people that is also something that they find fulfilling is sharing that knowledge I mean I'd be surprised if, if you've got someone on your team who doesn't who hasn't got that as part of their personality you know they don't they don't want to share their knowledge and it also promotes like uh, a happier work environment i think honesty and clarity up front being transparent about what get, getting the person to be transparent about what they want and what they want to achieve and you being transparent as well is how you create a cohesive working environment right if you issues most issues come this is in all circumstances from misunderstandings or uh, erroneous misconceptions in terms of two people believe something is the case, mm -hmm. but they don't. They don't believe the same thing. One person thinks the company is going is is aiming to release a game. One person thinks the company is aiming to uh, create a, a game as a service, and it will going to you know keep going around, right? And if you both, if nobody talks about that, if one person is barreling towards that they released a game on this date, bang, done, next game onwards, and the other one's thinking, well, we're going to release it on this date, and then we're going to support it with these updates, and then we're going to keep it going. If these two people don't discuss that early on, they're going to hit at some point, and it's going to be a train crash, because they're going to have, the by the time they reach up here, they will have the weight of 100,000 decisions that they've both made in pursuit of a greater goal that when they hit this they're like it, it's it's a vested it vested interest is a fallacy but it is it still carries weight mm -hmm. right they're yeah. going to hit each other full speed going no 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 the whole project has been geared towards we're going to release it like this and then it's done right that's why we've done x y z and they're both going to like no but i've been building it like this and i've done y you know a b c and that mm -hmm. means that you know we need to keep the board and sometimes that's going to create a problem so big that it will you know the time needed to fix it is going to be humongous. But if you are clear and upfront in, you know, in the first instance, why do you want to work here? I want to become a director. Okay. That can't happen in this company. I'm afraid. Yeah. All right. That's fine. Then it's not for me. Great. Sorted. You know, no hard feelings. Mm -hmm. Great. What do you want to be? I want to be a 3D de developer. Is that, you just want to do that? Yes. Okay. Are you happy to, would you be happy leading a team? Yes, I would be happy leading a team. Okay, you now know where you stand with this person. Mm -hmm. You're training them up to be a street developer, but also to be a team. Great, done. Having those conversations up front, it means everybody's on the same page. Everyone understands where they stand in relation to each other. And you don't have any of those sort of anxieties around what does that person think? You know, is my job on the line? What are the issues? All this kind of thing. Because you know how everyone thinks and feels. 
and it means it, it just creates a smoother running a smoother team essentially it's, yeah. it's just like as I, as I mentioned before that cohesion it just makes a cohesive environment for everybody to be in and work together and get stuff done and that is the goal ultimately and that only comes from being open and transparent and clear because the moment you hide something from someone even if you are a fantastic liar which is essentially what you're doing if you're hiding something from someone, yeah, yeah, yeah. um even if it's by omission if anybody catches him that there is something that they don't know that creates tension mm. immediately and tension is murder to productivity absolute murder if you're not sure if you don't agree with that take a look at the world right now <laughs> right are things tense yes is productivity high no there you go yeah absolutely um and i think that um in 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 all of these cases um just even if you speak to someone and they say, yeah, this is my goal um, long term, and you think to yourself, well, that's not something you can do here, but we can work with you in the meantime. We can, um, maybe there's a, 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 a smaller skill that they want to learn from working within the studio that they can take with them on their career path. You can be part of that path. That's perfectly fine. You don't have to be like, this is the be all end all goal for you, or it's not. Um there's always opportunities for negotiating certain situations. Um, and especially if you find someone who's like, they are going to be really good for your company. Um, and unfortunately, they have dreams that are bigger than just your company. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no point just saying, oh, well, yeah, we're, we're not going to be able to do that for you. You might as well just leave now. There are some situations where you can say, yeah, um, I totally get it. Um, we can't give you that, but you know we can give you X, Y, Z in the meantime, and we we feel you would be an, an amazing asset to our company. Um, and you could even say to them, you know, we think that you would help us achieve X, Y, Z, and maybe actually them helping you achieve X, Y, Z means that you would in the future be able to offer them what they're after. So a lot. Always want to have. Sorry. Go. Yeah, I was just gonna say all, all of these conversations. Just you just need to have those conversations. Yeah, you want to always keep. Uh, amicable relationships and always leave the door open to people that you like because nothing is worse than slamming the door in someone's face for them to reappear two years later in a position where they could help you and won't because they don't like you yeah or you want to hire them later and they don't really care for what you did to them uh, and remember that um or they tell somebody and they, they then don't don't even apply to your company and you lose something you didn't even know you had yeah it isn't always worth being friendly and open and honest uh even if that that honesty is going to be something like actually it's not going to work this time people will always appreciate the truth even if it's negative then uh either you being antagonistic or um ignorant to, you know in a worst case scenario where you just sort of yeah. you know, shut it shut it down or, or you're just trying to sell them a dream that you can't actually provide and yeah, then well, further exactly. down the line they discover that actually you were just full of shit and you just wanted to get from them what you could in the meantime in the short term um yeah obviously short-term goals are important but not at any cost yeah um so yeah i mean that pretty much wraps up um this episode um if you are thinking of starting up your own indie studio i hope you found this helpful if you're already running an indie studio and there are some of these things that you were like oh i hadn't thought about that you're welcome. Um, 
it just so happens that um, this handy little conversation that we've had today um, is available in a PDF document form, um, more more of a summary really than, than anything else. Um, but also in future episodes, we will be delving deeper into um, all of these aspects of game development. And um, particularly, um, I know that I'm interested in the episodes where we will be covering business development um, because that is one of the hardest parts of game development, um, either because you need to know this stuff yourself or because you need someone in your team to know this stuff. Um, for whether that's for short-term success or long-term success, that's in the fate of the gods. But um, yeah, I am. Um, thank you, Adam, for joining me in in this episode. Um, thank you for having me. Adam is uh, one of our co-hosts. We will have a number of uh, co-hosts um, who will be venturing out into the world and interviewing people in various places um, to get various perspectives on the game development industry. Um, and as we grow, hopefully you will join us and, and follow us. And um, you can do that by um, either finding us on YouTube. Um, it, you might even be watching this on YouTube right now. Um, <laughs> Or listening via podcast because there will be a podcast episode uh, version of an audio only version of this um, on your Spotify's and your Google Podcasts, etc. Um, so I think that's all that we really need to say today. Um, thank you for joining us.